Everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. Apologies about the slight layoff, but Andrew and I have been busy with our day jobs, but we've been keeping tabs with the Giro d'Italia. We just saw stage 11. Um, I guess I guess half the race has gone by. We haven't really hit any mountains, but a lot of contenders have crashed out, gone home with COVID. Every day seems like it's been stressful or something has happened. I will, I'm here as always with Andrew Vance, the Choose the Hard Way podcast. Andrew, do you want to say anything about your podcast before we get into this crazy Giro d'Italia? Spencer, I know that you and I both have an extremely high degree of curiosity about the world of my whoosh. I have my whoosh professional racer, Zwift pro eraser, Zach Nair, also one of the first people to do data-driven analysis of pro cycling is on the podcast this week. So come check it out. Choosethehardway.com. Find us on all the platforms where you listen and we're on social media at Hardway Pod. And I'm hoping we can get Zach on here on Beyond the Peloton post-Giro just to go even deeper into my whoosh and Zwift racing because it is a pretty wild world. Spencer. Yeah, I saw that pop up in my feed today and was like, I have to listen to this. And then you sent me a, I don't want to dox anybody, but you sent me a screenshot <laughs> from your coach and saying you had to get, wake up at like 3 a.m. for a My Woosh race. It's like, I need to know more about these races. We've got to get in this scene. So yeah. I'm excited to find out more. And I, I guess to, to take it back to the zero, I would be curious to get Zach's take. He's kind of a power guru. Like everything is a laboratory to him. I would be curious to see what the power numbers are at this Euro because, oh my God, the weather has been terrible. Like every day, rain and cold, people look miserable. Everyone's crashing all the time. Theo Gegenhart was in third place overall this morning, crashed at a pretty slow speed, but I guess those can hurt you the most sometimes. Sometimes, like a slow speed corner. Roglic, who's in second, Garrett Thomas, who's in first, also crashed, got back up, no problem. Teo Gagenhardt out of the race. I thought he was maybe the second or even strongest rider in the race. And this is like, what, two days after Rimko Evenepoel left after winning a stage with COVID? So it's been insanity. What, what's, your, what's your big takeaway here, Andrew? I'm, I, I think my main takeaway is that I said that Garen Thomas would probably win the race in the pre-race predictions or that he at least would be in the lead. And as you know, Spencer... Before we started rolling, I did pull the transcript from the previous episode. It seems like it's from a time long ago in a place far it away. Seems a little damning, actually, for you, because you're like, well, oh, if bad things were to happen to the favorites and they didn't make it to Rome, Garrett Thomas could do well. <laughs> like, well what did you know? What, hap- what have you done here? Did you I, give I mean, Remco COVID? Yeah, I can't really reveal what sources familiar say, but yeah, I mean, like what I said was in the event that all of the top level riders get wiped out, I have this, you know, and I did say whether it's by COVID crashes, whatever happens, I have this feeling that Garrett Thomas is probably going to win the race. I called him the potential winner and I, I don't know what I knew. I just had this, you know, my spider sense was tingling about this race, all that time on the volcano that Remco put in. It just, nothing ever goes as planned in professional cycling. And boy, this has been a weird, wild, kind of tragic and disappointing. And and while it has a lot of interesting elements, there's been a lot of boredom in this race as well, which has fascinated me in this cycling 2.0 era. And I'm really curious, Spencer, what you think is going on there. Well, this is a sneaky little fact of the Giro. It's actually tends to be really boring in the beginning. You think of it as like, oh, fun in the sun, mountains every day, 
you know, they really adhere to this south to north and they leave all the big mountain stages for the third week in the Dolomites in the north, which means you have like, these are hard stages. Like I'm talking 11, 12,000 feet of climbing, which, you know, post at the Strava, you're going to get a few kudos. So these are tough stages, but these guys are so strong that that's not selective, selective enough for them. So everyone just kind of sits and waits and hopes not to crash until they get to the third week where they can make the difference in the mountains. That's why this is a little odd, this GC standing, GC situation where 11 stages in, Garrett Thomas is in the lead, has done two, well, one amazing time trial, one kind of disappointing time trial, um, but we don't even really know how good he is on the climbs because we haven't had a real climb ridden at race pace yet. He could be the best climber in the race. He could be very bad. We just have no idea yet. But that's kind of the knock on the Giro, in, in my opinion. They tend to backload it too much. And honestly, they need to move the race. It should not be in May. It should be in August. The Vuelta should be in May because guess what? It's dry and nice in Spain. It's always rainy in Italy in May. It snows a lot. Maybe move the, the, the dang race. Get it out of this calendar slot. This is a trending take, and I have to, I'm going to have to put your feet to the fire on this one, Spencer, because as you know, privately, you've been giving me a little bit of stick about some of my comments regarding road furniture, the number of crashes in this race. And my take is that we are seeing more crashes, it seems, than ever before, because I do think that there is a higher density of road furniture than there was even five years ago on these roads. And we're also seeing some really just bizarre choices about how the roads are barriered, like some of the pinch points we saw in early phases of the race. I think that was on perhaps stage two or three where Cav went down, where there was that pinch down to a single lane from two or three lanes. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on that seems totally avoidable to me. I mean, would you not? I mean, I, I don't know. Are we, is there really been an explosion of road furniture construction in Europe in the last five years? We'd have to get a city planner on here to tell us that. I wonder if we're just seeing more of it because the races, more of the races are televised. So we're more aware of it. I, I did notice in, in, in Napoli, they took a turn and the apex of the turn was a traffic island with like per signposts per in it. Perfect. <laughs> that seems a little avoidable to me. Uh, I, I was, and I am in camp like these guys should, like what are we going to do? Not race on the roads? That's called track racing or mountain bike racing or cyclocross racing. That seemed a little avoidable. It does seem like you could come in here and maybe modify some of these routes with some, and, and get some easy wins. I mean, they really should just have like, they have to submit the route some UCI inspector comes through with a union leader for the riders union. And they say, this is going to work or this won't work. Like uh, there was a infamous example of USA basketball, just like cheaped out on like a, it was not a regulation basket. This was maybe like eight, nine years ago for a scrimmage. The stanchion was too close to the floor. The star player came down and his leg just like literally snapped into like a toothpick because his foot hit the stanchion. It's kind of the same thing where it's like, well, yeah, you could save money with a non-regulation hoop, or maybe someone should come in and say, well, this isn't safe. Let's just get something that's safe. So you are right where there are some easy wins to have there, but I kind of wonder all these crashes. A, it's not been that rainy. Like Europe's been going through a drought for the last few years. So a lot of these riders don't have a ton of experience racing in the rain. It's been extremely rainy. 
And also, like, think back pre-COVID, everyone's on rim brakes. Those things, you're not getting any stopping power on a carbon rim with rim brakes. So you kind of bake that into your calculation. I think guys are just waiting way too late to brake. They're going faster because they're not braking early. But even if you have an awesome disc brake, you're just going to slide as soon as you hit the brakes and crash. I, that's kind of my theory for all these rain-related crashes. I mean, clearly part of the answer is definitely a return to REM brakes. Let REM ring. I mean, it goes without saying, right? <laughs> yeah, this is our time. And it sounds crazy because you think, well, isn't more stopping power better? And sometimes it is. Like in the dry, it can be. In mountain biking, it certainly is. But on wet roads, I mean, you can lock your brake up, but there's not a ton of traction between your tire and the road. So strong braking isn't necessarily good. You know, I have one, one bone to pick with you about Garrett Thomas. He is in the lead. He's looking good. I, I think an obstacle he still faces here is he's the third strongest rider in the race behind Primoz, Roglic, and Jualameda. I mean, those guys are really, really good. Like watts per kilo riders on high mountains, and we're going to get a lot of those. I'm not quite sure how Thomas solves that issue. Garrett Thomas is the T-1000 of the current pro peloton. He will persist and destroy it's, I mean, I, I would ask you to expand, but that could be enough. <laughs> like if he just gets through this, doesn't test positive for COVID and those two guys crash, which is, I mean, Roglic seemingly crashes every day at this Euro. Oddly, the rain helps him because instead of the, the buttocks, as you, as you were mentioning in our preview, he's just sliding. So he's not ripping up his clothes. He's not walking around like a mummy with all the road rash. So that has actually helped him seemingly because it's, it's smoothing his crashes over. I mean, how do, let's, let's wind back a few days. Sunday, maybe the best time trial. I know you hate time trials I've ever seen at this level. Like first place was obviously the winner. Right. Second place was one second behind him, Garrett Thomas. Third place was four seconds behind the winner. And fourth place was four, I, maybe, no, eight seconds behind. I mean, it was like the closest time trial I've ever seen. Remco wins it. His lead was not as big as I thought, 45 seconds, I guess. COVID probably slowed, slowed down that time trial. But what did, what did you think of, of this little preview of Rimco we got in this year? Did you think he was going to like cakewalk all the way to the win? I think he's he going to get sick. He's going to have a hell of a tour to France. That's what I think. Oh, but I thought Patrick Lefebvre, his team manager, said he's not going. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I can be more. I'm on the move tomorrow with uh, Johan Bruniel, who's a friend of him. So I have to be more diplomatic on that show. But this is bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah, going to the tour. It's total bullshit. Yeah. He's going to the tour. And as anyone who's gone to Belgium knows, if you want your frites as crispy and delicious as possible, you fry them twice. And that's what we're going to see happen with Remco Evenepoel. He will be fried twice. Once at the Giro, back into the oil at the Tour de France. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think I agree. And people are saying, well, he hasn't prepared for the tour. It's like, you know what's pretty good preparation for the tour? Doing, doing 10 days of a grand tour. That's pretty good. And then going to an altitude camp. That actually seems like perfect preparation, in my opinion. No, I think um, it's, it's perfect preparation. He's going to thrive. And I, before we just zoom right past what happened, some of the things that happened with people hitting the floor, the road furniture, I did want to note that on stage five, when Cavendish kept it upright and then didn't, and then like belly surfed as though he were on a slip and slide across the finish line. Something that did impress me going back to the UCI, making some actual improvements 
we saw that those slanted barriers actually worked. I don't recall which writer. Cavendish. It was a Bardiani writer. I, I'll go back and look at his it name. Was this poor guy was getting pinned up against this barrier. But, but it was incredible. He went into the barriers and he managed to stay upright. And I just was thinking, hey, a couple of years ago, this guy would have had facial reconstruction surgery. He would have been eating a barrier, maybe had a barrier foot through his neck or something. And instead, he stayed upright, made it across the no, finish no line. No injuries, I assume. It, it was pretty incredible. And a testament, I think, to taking further measures to protect riders. And I know I agree with you. Racing happens on open road, roads. You can't nerf the world. Some riders like Garrett Thomas, the T-1000, the Gelade giant of, uh, of the UK, he can just like go through anything. But for everyone else... I think well, that well, we should say, I think he's crashed out of his last two year to tell you. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not saying the man, I'm not saying the man doesn't crash. He is durable. If nothing else, he is a durable writer. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to say on related to crashes, we would need to look at the data on this and maybe I'll ask Zach Nair, actually, I'll shoot him a text. He might have the data. I'm wondering what the average number of years of experience these writers have in, world, in a world tour peloton today versus five years ago. As things trend younger, I wonder if we have writers, because there's always talk about, oh, this new generation is disrespectful. They're, you know, they just barge their way through the peloton. I think I've been hearing that for the last 20 years in professional cycling. <laughs> and I think it's just something older writers tend to say about younger writers, even at the world tour level. But I am wondering, are we seeing people with relatively much less experience being put into these situations where they don't have a high enough level, they don't have a large enough data set to have the pattern recognition they need to stay upright. So if you have somebody who has 10 years in the world tour versus two years and a Galactico engine, is that making the difference and perhaps why we're seeing more crashes in addition to the road surface being like an ice skating pond? in certain spots but that's always but i i know people complain about the road but since roads were invented wet roads are slick i mean i'm not quite sure what there is you could actually do about that let's not like, slide past my amazing point about the relative number well of i was going to spy pattern letters. recognition do you mean like slamming your face against the ground and losing all your teeth and then having to get your face reconstructed and these young kids don't know then yeah i would agree i mean look at stage two winner jonathan milan basically a neo pro how old is this guy? He is 22. David Decker, second. I believe he's in his early 20s. Caden Groves, I believe he's around 23. Arnie Arna, Arnie Moret, he's also early 20s. Marius, Marius Meyerhofer, also early 20s. I mean, like you don't even get to a, a plus 30 rider until Michael Matthews in 10th. So these guys definitely have less experience, and no one does U23s anymore. Everyone goes, if you're good, you go from juniors which I mean, how, how, like, what do you have two years of racing at, at like a high speed in juniors? And then you go world tour basically. So yeah, no one knows what the heck they're doing. No one's even seen a goddamn rainstorm because these guys have been in the world tour for so little time. They don't even remember what like raindrops look like. They're practically pulling toddlers off like a bikes in the Valmont parking lot and just <laughs> stick, kind sticking of them in the world tour <laughs> yeah. now. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty wild. I mean, these kids are so inexperienced. They have no idea what it's like to ride a Tour de France time trial with a gilet on. 
Yeah, I, I heard he's doing the stage 20 with a puffy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a collaboration it's, it's, with Supreme. Can you imagine? I could actually see that, like EF just doing it in like sweatpants. <laughs> we have a streetwear collaboration. But it could happen. I mean, really, the only so the only solution then, if that's the case, is these guys just have to crash a bunch and then be like, that sucked. I don't really want to keep crashing. Maybe we should go through corners slower. Well, let's talk about EF for a second. They've nabbed several stage wins. And I've, it got me thinking about whether, you know, the strategy for the non-Galactico having teams and, go, you know. Well, is Ben Healy a Galactico? Just table that question. Okay, Keep going I, with yeah. that in mind. Um, he's going to need a haircut if he wants to be a Galactico. I think we could drop a few, uh, a bit of aerodynamic drag there, although specialized, maybe wrong manufacturer. Somebody throw up a wind tunnel stat about what's going on with his hair and whether it's causing excess drag or not. A lot of debate about that. Is Ben potentially a Galactico? My answer is yes. I think he potentially is. I read that interview with his coach recently. It sounds like there's still a lot of gas left in the tank in terms of realizing his full potential, according to his coach. He's had a relatively slow development process. He isn't Remco versus the Volcano. So I think that there's a lot yet to come. And yeah, he could be. Well, I, was, I mean, he attacked with 50k to go, and I honestly thought he was confused. I thought he thought it was the last lap. That's how hard he went. Yeah. And he, it was like easy, like no, no problem. I'm going to put time into the Peloton. And I was thinking, man, this kind of reminds me of Julian Alaphilippe. But then I was thinking, I don't know if I've ever seen Julian Alaphilippe do anything like that. I mean, that, that was a serious, serious attack. Obviously, Alaphilippe has many, many victories, multiple world championships, but just from a pure strength and like watts per kilo for a, a final hour of a hard race uh, that was unbelievable like he's i don't know i need to go back and look at this but he might be he might have better results at bigger races and road races or maybe equal to like tom pickcock like a grand tour stage win podiums at i guess amstel's not a monument but it's a major major classic. I mean, the guy is really, really good. But continue your point about EF sniping wins at a crappy race that doesn't have good riders. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can say that, yet Magnus Court had a blistering start to the 2022 Tour de France. So, I mean, he's done it in a couple of different contexts, so we can't take that away from... Well, I think he had a stage win, two stage wins at the Tour last year. Let me check this. He might have had two if not more. Did he wear the yellow no. jersey as well? He wore the yellow jersey and had a stage win. The Mile Jean? Good, good race. Good yeah, race. He did not finish the race, oddly. Yeah, he had a good race. So here's my point of view on that, is even if Ben Healy is a Galactico, becomes a Galactico, I mean, the question becomes, can EF afford him next year? Does someone else buy out his contract? And is he gone in 2024? That's a good question. I think he's out of contract. Yeah, he's not he's that. not standard EF. There's no way. And I mean Magnus Court, like career, it's just what a what a like a beautiful writer. Like just made a career out of he's not the strongest. You know, he can't win. Like if he tries to go head to head with Vanderpool, Van Art for these stage wins, he just can't do it. But he's just mastered this career of getting into moves, Jedi mind tricking writers into, hey, work with me, even though I'm gonna out sprint you, and convincing them to give it their all. 
and they get there and he just he toasts them in the sprint every time. I think the only time I saw him lose one of those breakaways was last year at the Giro on stage 18, where he just must have miscalculated his feeding or something. But I mean, this guy is incredible, like a master at breakaways. The thing with Ben, and he's what, had a great career. Stage wins in every Grand Tour, nine career Grand Tour stage wins. Like that's amazing. Ben Healy, I actually don't think can get in her breakaways anymore because who in their right mind would work with this guy? Like he's just going to drop you at the next hill and right away. So he's probably going to have to transition to being a GC rider, maybe an Philippe type where he does big one-day races and then has to win stages out of GC groups. So yeah, I can't, I, I don't see him staying at EF. It actually will be, where, where do you think he would go if he left? Any Enios would be the obvious one, in my opinion, since he speaks English and, want, and probably likes money, I presume, likes money. Yeah, there's like a three pieces of flair or more rule at EF as well. If you look at their riders who are really laying it down and getting those results, Magnus Quartz got the flair mustache. Ben Healy's got the, the Oasis hair. Like they have the look to be on this team. If you think about Lachlan Morton at his height of fame and glory, and he's still doing great things, but also great flair. Alex Howes, the man has flair. So I would uh, say Hugh Carthy has like emotional flair too, even though in those legs, those legs are flair. Yeah, but I don't know. It'd be like breaking up the Spice Girls or in sync or something if you pull Ben Healy off this team, but I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I can't see them affording him. I mean, an English speaking writer. Of that talent, that seems in a con- contract year. That seems like that's going to be uh, a big number. I mean, I mean any you, UAE is going to come in with the, with the dump with a Brinks truck, back it up, right? Or do you think he goes to Enios? He should go to Enios. Um, Enios should want him. I don't know if they do, but man, that seems like the perfect marriage. Except the fact that he would go there. Maybe The problem I think Ineos is having with recruiting these riders, like you look at a lot of these, um, like there's a lot of young, talented British riders. I know Ben Healy's Irish, but I think he has a connection. Like he maybe grew up in England. I could be wrong. Don't yeah. Please don't tweet at me if I'm wrong. But he's, he's Irish. Is they almost know the deal too, too well. Like they don't, like DSM has all these talented British riders because they don't want to go to Ineos because they say, well, what, I'm going to get parked on the front and work for Garrett Thomas for the next 10 years? Like, I don't think so. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. So, you know, that would be the only thing that trips that up, I think. Yeah, that's possible. What do you think about the COVID protocols broadly? A lot of this seemed anticipatable. And I mean, especially, I don't know if anybody out there is a succession fan. I'm a big succession fan. But when this cable car thing went down, I kept thinking about the recent yeah, succession episode that, that, was... that had the, the cable car scene. Then you had the helicopter. And I mean, I know Remco helicoptered off the mountain, correct? Yeah, yeah with, with his teammates in the helicopter with him. Yeah, and now all they sharing, all have COVID. Oops. <laughs> all sharing their, their viral load of COVID, apparently. But yeah, well, just, just to clarify, you said protocols, there are no COVID protocols or there were not until Monday. Do there need to There's, be? No, I mean, well, for the, for the race, like, I don't know, these riders shouldn't be interacting with, with people that aren't in the race, in my opinion. That was crazy. Why did that ever happen? I don't know. Why did, why did journalists ever get around these riders? That's insane to me. Knowing what happened at Romandy, that seems crazy. But I don't think... I read the UCI handbook. It seems like they can only really enforce rules if, you know, they, like the, in Italy, they have like the green zone, the red zone, the yellow zone, like um, to indicate if COVID is serious or not. But the pandemic's been ruled over by all these countries. So 
the UCI, I don't think, has the authority to like go across international borders and say, you know, th- it, legally, this is just the same as having a cold. I don't think the UCI could come in and like kick a rider out for having a cold. I think you would get sued for that. So I think they're a little powerless. But yeah, the Giro probably should not be letting like random people in. Like, and if you're not in the race and you don't work for a team, you should not be face to face with a rider, in my opinion, because the risk is too high of getting sick. We do have to bear in mind that on May 5th, the WHO announced that the pandemic was over, right? And I, I think yeah. we're seeing a lot of evidence. We don't know what the what the actual symptoms are, what's going on with these riders. Anecdotally, there, you know, like the, there appears to be COVID rampaging through the Peloton, and we're seeing this race be decimated, which indicates to me that it continues to be a significant problem i know we're gonna get the spotify <laughs> like label on the I podcast know. now because we're talking about not, COVID. It, it's not a pandemic anymore i don't know if they will but why so like ncaa uh march madness no COVID, not a single case nfl season nfl playoffs super bowl not a single case nhl playoffs playoffs going right now no COVID. nba playoffs no COVID. no COVID in any soccer league in the world I, like, what is the deal here? Like, are they just not, are there just not tests going on there and people are getting sick and they're just ruling them out for other injuries? Like, why is cycling so uniquely affected by COVID? I think it's potentially because the immune systems of professional cyclists are diminished in a way that they might not be in other sports on a more consistent basis, coupled with close proximity and exposure to a high volume of people they don't interact with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, yes. Yeah. The immune system's definitely at the zero too. Oh my God. It's way too, like, it's so cold. Can you imagine? Like they, they must not have immune systems. Like I can't (laughs) imagine being able to fight off anything at this point. Um, it's funny because F1 canceled their race this weekend in Italy because it was too rainy. (laughs) And then the zero, I I was like, thought I was having a stroke this morning because I'm like, wait, what? Like what, f- floods in Italy canceling the race, but I'm watching the Giro d'Italia right now, but they seem not to mind. They're just pushing ahead a uh, bunch of rain. Nope. No worries. No problem. We're going to go ahead with it. Even though there's an avalanche risk on Friday, we're just racing right through it. Um, we'll, we'll just see if half the Peloton gets taken off the mountain by an avalanche. We know Andy Hampson would have done it. He would be in the avalanche. <laughs> I think who was that? There's like a case of a, it might be, uh, I don't know, it's one of those riders. And it's like held up is, wow, like what an amazing, they, they rode to the snow. They should do that now. And this guy's like, yeah, I don't, I regret doing that. I don't have feelings in my hands still. That was so stupid. So yeah, I think maybe they could, uh, I don't know. I think they should adjust the date. What, is that a crazy idea that this should not be in Italy's wettest month of the year? I think that they should just turn it into a series of American-style criteriums, the most exciting form of bike racing on the planet. Well, that third week might be that. <laughs> this race rate, they won't be able to go into the mountains because it's going to be way too snowy. So we might see some business park crits around Milan. So that could be fun. Maybe they make it interdisciplinary. And just as Tom Pitcock went and did his thing at the cross-country and short-track World Cups this weekend, maybe we add some mountain bike components and lower lower uh lower level regions i wouldn't hate that that i mean pick that was a that was a good race by the way uh mountain bike world cup this weekend but so we have what 10 stages left really 
nine stages of real racing. We have an uphill time trial on stage 20. Pretty much every mountain still remaining. Who, who do you think wins this? Is your guy, Garrett Thomas, really going to win this race? I'm going with Garrett Thomas. I think he's going to pull it out. What do you think, Spencer? You know, I, I honestly, yesterday I was thinking Teo Gegenhardt's going to win this race. This guy, the guy's weakness was time trialing, and he was the best GC contender out, besides Remco in the time trials. So it's like, wow, he's aced that test. He's, he's going to crush everyone in the mountains. I just, I, I worry now for Garrett Thomas because they had a really strong hand to play. Now they've lost two strong riders in Gegenhardt and Philippe Ogana. They have to shift to strategy, hold on for dear life until the time trial, try to limit losses. Um, I mean, because if they went in, let's just say they're basically all equal on time. Thomas is two seconds ahead of Primos, Joao 22 seconds back. I think Ineos would take that into the final time trial and say, you know what, Thomas probably isn't faster than Remco or Primos, but, but we're just going to hope for the best. You know, we have a fighting chance. If he's a minute down by the time trial, that's not as good of a situation. So I think they're just going to race as conservative as possible. I think, I think Primos is too good. I think we've forgotten how good Primos is. Um, like he was, if you remember Catalonia, when him and Remco would, would like pedal, they would just fly away from the rest of the field. So I think Thomas could have a tough time with Primos. But if Primos crashes out, yeah, he looks pretty good. I'm going to get a shadow ban from Spotify now. I think Primos is going to get COVID. That's my prediction. I think he already had COVID. I he, think, told, he told Thomas he had COVID. I think he's going to really get it this time. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I mean, you have to think if he had some kind of low-level exposure, which given that most of his team left the race, he did. If he get gets hit again, he's gone. It's going to happen. Well, it's not clear if... Because the team was replaced before the start. It's not clear. I don't know if he had contact with those riders or not. And the thing about COVID, this could be famous last words. It tends to... Also, why is this... This year might have more COVID positives in any Grand Tour since the start of COVID, which is crazy because you'd think that it would have been worse when more COVID was happening. but. Usually you'll get like a flurry, like boom, 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 boom. And then by the third week, there's so little contact, like the contact has already been done. So anyone who doesn't have COVID is good. That's how we've seen it happen in the past. Could be wrong. And like, we just keep losing 10 riders a day. I hope not. That would suck. But I, yeah, predicting that uh, Primos won't finish a Grand Tour is a good business. So I do not fall yeah. for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> he I hasn't mean, you know, three out of his last four. To play devil's advocate to the point that I just made, and I do believe he'll exit the race in some manner before the end of the race. He has had the best COVID OPSEC of any rider. If you've watched any interviews with him or him in the mixed area, which is where riders are interacting with the public, staff, media, he has had an N95 mask on since day one. And I think he's the only rider I've seen do that. And I'm sure they're all doing it now. It's probably on trend. But, I think he's had one on since May 2020. Yeah. Just in his personal life. It, I, yeah, you actually rarely see him without an N95. Only when he's telemarking on the podium. That's when he removes it. And I, <laughs> yeah. I also will predict we will see him telemark once more. I, I, would, I would mark Friday. Mark that down in your calendars. If you want to see a telemark celebration, do your shopping tomorrow. That stage does not need, be, need to be viewed by anyone. Watch it and now become like the most exciting stage in Giro d'Italia history. Friday is going to be pretty exciting. We got a, like a real summit finish this time. The real zero starts. I think Roglic wins that. Telemark's on the podium. 
And I'm actually really curious to see how Thomas does. I mean, to me, Friday will, will tell us like, is he going to hang on? Is he like, can he stay with Rimco or Primos through the mountains and then win this in the time trial? So Friday is, should be an exciting day. Well, what do you think? Can he hang on? I think no, no. I mean, remember how much time does he like six? He lost like six minutes last year in the tour to Vinegard and Pogaccia. I think he's, well, just lose on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I could Friday. see him staying within, I think it's going to be like little chunks every day, like 10, 15 seconds. Plus, and the thing is, Yumbo has to try to set up Primos for the win so he gets the 10-second stage time bonus. You stack two or three of those, you get 10 or 15 seconds every stage on Thomas. Then you start to have a little bit more to work with in the time trial. I, I do not think, I, I think we're past the stage of seeing Thomas fall apart. Like, if he gets this deep in a Grand Tour, the guy, as you said, is like solid as a rock. I think it's just, uh, he doesn't quite have the same watts per kilo ability that even Almeida does. Definitely not what Roglic does. So I think he'll lose a little bit of time on these uphill finishes. It's possible. I also think it's possible that the other contenders neutralize things and he's able to just diesel his way back. That's how we've seen him do it in the past when he's hung on in situations where it just seemed impossible not a chance in hell that he would stay in contention and he's just a little engine that could he's the t1000 melting into molten metal reforming near the summit <laughs> he can do it in a vest that is a in, in rimka rimka was here these would have been nuclear climbs but yeah i mean that's not a crazy thing to think that these guys jockey oh i can't get rid of joao we're just oh shadow boxing up the climb and you know is, yeah thomas is going to be riding the same pace no matter what is happening and he could creep back up to you and limit those losses really well or even finish with you and if he can do that to the mountains it, it's crazy i can't believe we're garrett thomas is like 37 years old yeah i can't believe <laughs> i can't believe zero. i can't believe that my prediction was so spot on honestly i'm i thought this would happen and also i can't help but be a bit surprised by it. And, uh, Spencer, I know you've got a slide. Something I think we should talk about the next time we uh, gather and sit in circle as we are today, and definitely prior to the tour, when we are going to see Remco on the line, what does this do to the psychological state of Remco? Because I think we talked about it in the last episode, just not a super mature human being, it doesn't seem. And if you look at what happened when he wrecked a handful of times in this race. Not really the reaction I would love to see from a writer who is, is potentially a Galactico. Yeah. I, I thought that was like borderline inappropriate behavior. Like, like, come on, man. Like you're a grand, like you're a contender at this race, like maybe act like an adult, but yeah, how does this affect him? This is not, I, I kind of wonder if it's, if he just goes unaffected, like whatever, yeah, I would have won possible, this race. It's not a possible. big deal, but I, at some point, if he does not do the tour, and so it's like, okay, you had a season where you win Liège. I don't know, like that's good for 95% of the Peloton. That's not good enough to be considered as good as Tade Pogacar. Like to me, I start, I wonder if they start to run out, like in by they, I mean like the Belgian media, like, do they ever run out of patience here? Like, Hey, maybe try to race some of the best riders in the world, as opposed to just cherry picking races that don't have the best riders and winning those and then not racing the biggest races. That's, that's where it could get interesting to me because now he doesn't really have an excuse to skip the tour. And I think it looks really bad if he skips the tour. I, I to me, that would be 
insane and like borderline disrespectful to the team sponsors. Like you're going to send some, some B team to the biggest race in the world while your big star, the world champion, I guess the best rider in the world is sitting at home. That, that doesn't make any sense. No, absolutely. And if he does show at the tour, which I believe he will, and he does not knock it out of the park and at a minimum score a couple of stage wins and finish in the top five at a minimum. Yeah. I think we might have the new Thibaut Pino of Belgium on our hands. <laughs> oh my Lord. Oh my God. We're going to have to burn this podcast now. That was a strong take. <laughs> Holy smokes. Um, I, I I, he did win a he did win a world title and the grand tour but it does this does does start to be some asymmetry there where it's like so are are you trying to be the world's best rider or do you just want to win a few races every year you know that's it's kind of like Paolo Bettini great career I don't think anyone's sitting around saying you know Paolo Bettini was better than Taddy Pogacar don't trash the cricket in my presence. <laughs> I know it hurt me to say that, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, someone... also have to, I also have to point out that even with that world title, which it's fantastic. Yes. Remco won a world championship. It was a diminished field. It was a world championship that many riders elected not to attend. And it's whatever you think of Matthew Vanderpool's behavior in Australia. And I think poorly of it. He would have been a factor in the race had he not um, had the incident at the hotel the evening before. And I think it would have potentially been a different outcome. So Remco has never really had a showdown with a full full stack of Galacticos coming at him. Yes. Right? Yeah, I, I agree. It does kind of irk. It bothers me more than it should. <laughs> it's just like, can you race the best riders, man? Like, what is going on here? But maybe this is for the best i mean maybe we i think we will see him at the tour and i think this is all going to be you know water under the bridge in a few months and we'll actually see him race the best guys if you I say hope. so if you say so future debate another future debate i know that it just doesn't happen in modern cycling but you want to see the very best riders competing against each other at these races and it really diminishes even a race like the giro i understand everybody's focused on the tour but i'd love to see all of the very best riders competing at the best races i i agree it like really bugs me. it makes me kind of sad for the giro it's it's a really great race i love italy the country this this i feel like this has been the grand tour that suffered the most from the fracturing of favorites and people maybe racing less before big events because i mean this has the weakest field of the grand tours every year because the vuelta has the advantage of if you wipe out at the tour you show up to the vuelta to try to redeem your season so the giro just never gets that but I've got to run, but we will. We should try to get on next week to talk about, um, hopefully, some GC action this weekend. Oh, there will be some. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Andrew. And we will talk to you soon.